0: Well, let's go ahead and, and, and jump into our, our Bible study if we can. We're going to start out in Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, in verse 23 there. <clears throat> uh, we're going to talk tonight about two, two words that often seem, I guess, intimidating and totally pointless, like those types of words that we uh, really don't see that much use for. It's the eminence and the transcendence of God. And uh, we're going to break down what that means here in just a few minutes. But Jeremiah chapter 23, um, in verse 23, says, and God's asking a, a question through the prophet here. The Bible says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? So what God is doing right here is he's, I think, especially in the case of the the, the prayer um, need that's been mentioned tonight, I think the study is going to be very, very, very helpful, and we didn't even plan for this. So in Jeremiah, um, it's speaking that God is... In a sense, not the part, not a part of the creation, but He's also near to and works with the creation. But before we kind of jump in and unpackage this whole thing, let's ask the question here um, that some of you may may have have thought: Why do we study the attributes of God? Why do we study the, these theological uh, messages? Um, one way some people say, "Well, it's a it's a way of making ourselves sound smart." Uh, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you? felt that they really just wanted to show you that they knew a lot about the Bible instead of helping you know the God of the Bible. You guys ever been in one of those types of conversations where the person is kind of pressing you into this corner and and you're like, well, what's what's the point? Uh, Some people think that the reason why we would study theology is to a means of letting people speculate, like, well, I think God is like this, or what do you think God is about? And at the end of the day, we get what we all think God is. And at the end of the day, if we put all of our thoughts together, what do we really have? Our thoughts, right? (laughs) What we want is for God to show us who he is and the way that we understand that is through the scriptures. So here's um, the reason why, and this is from Millard Erickson, why we would study about God. Not just about what he does, but who he is. The study of God's nature should be seen as a means to a more accurate understanding of him, and catch this, and hence a closer personal relationship with him. The more that we can learn about who God is, not just his blessings and not just what he can give, we can learn more about him to have a closer relationship. And we can go to the illustration of like a... A husband and a wife. The more they learn about each other, the more they can fall in love and um, be passionate for one another. And uh, so here's, here's our two words. Um, they're kind of one of those big words that you don't normally hear in everyday conversation, but they're actually huge when we read through the Bible um, and the concepts. Imminence uh, would be, um, and we quote, "...God is present and active in his creation and within the human race." even those members of it that do not believe in or obey Him. In other words, God is working all the time in ways that we may not understand. And then transcendence, it would be God's otherness, um, which is God is far above the creation in the sense that He is greater than the creation and He is independent of it, which means that that we're not God, right? We've all seen the videos like in psychology class or back in school, where the crazy people think that they're God, okay. And um, if you hey, anybody in here, have you ever met anybody who thought they were a god? Okay, <laughs> somewhat. Okay, <laughs> you were looking at here's somebody in the hallway. Right god, with a, yeah, sure. I am God. Okay, but, uh, but what we're talking about here with transcendence, think about it like this: um, imminence is God working with His creation, which means the Potter is forming the clay transcendence means that the potter is not the clay. And that's really good news because if God, we're going to look at some views here in just a few minutes, it would be absolutely um, devastating. And uh, we're going to ask these, these couple of questions here. When we examine these next views of God, think of how holding to these views or believing in them would impact two areas. Number one, your view of God. And secondly, your prayer walk with God. Okay, so we're about to look at a few ideas that a lot of people around the world believe, and imagine if we actually believed that was the case, how it would affect how we view God and how we have the relationship with Him. Uh, Number one would be pantheism. Uh, Pantheism. By the way, the handout that you guys have, that just kind of gives an overview of what we're going to be studying uh, these next few months here. Uh, If you notice there on the, uh, let's see here, the chart number 18... The attributes and perfections this right here, um, all of that stuff there about god 's omnipresence, which means that God is everywhere god 's omnipotence, which means god 's all powerful um, omniscience, which means that God knows everything, like the teachers will tell the kids you know like my i don 't know if you've ever, ever told the story about my mom. When we were in Guthrie, Oklahoma, and we were driving by, this may have come out in a sermon, I'm not sure, but we saw, it was kind of like a backyard fight, I remember there was this one kid with a handful of rocks, and they were about 10 feet away from each other, and he was just pelting this one kid with rocks. I mean, not joking, but like they were fighting. And then the other kid had about a four or five foot strand of of cut off uh, water hose. And he was, if he could get past the rocks, he would just lay into the other kid. And my mom hates fighting. She hates it. If we're ever watching boxing or ultimate fighting, she comes to the room, y'all are sick. Sick, sick. Turn it off. Jimmy, sin. It is sin. And then she she preaches for a few minutes and then she just exits. Um, but here's what she did, and this was back in the day, so, so it wasn't the automatic window. She actually rolled down manually her window, and then she began to just say, God sees you! God sees you! God sees you! And she just kept saying that, and the kids were still thrown <laughs> off, you know? Like, I think it would have, they would have been less rattled if somebody had cussed them out. They were like, whoa, God? Who? You? And they, they just laughed, like they left, and I was like, I was like, my mom just broke up like a redneck Oklahoma gang fight. Wow. And, uh, and then they got their license plate. They, they got God Sees You, but somebody actually had that already. But then they got something, it, it, you couldn't really tell, but it said God Sees You. But anyway, you should ask that. Next time they're up, say, so tell me about your license plate. And it, Anyway, it's a good try. But um, anyway, I have no idea how we got off on that um, from pantheism. Yeah, about the God. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's ask the question, um, and, and notice the circle here would represent everything that exists, just for, just for us tonight. If we believe that God is all and all is God, it even kind of messes up the way we're, we're, we're asking these questions, how would, it view, how would it affect our view of God and our prayer life with God? You couldn't pray to Him as a person puts us all on equal plane. Couldn't play it for a person? What's that? It puts us
1: all on equal plane.
0: Yeah, okay, like... Just like I'd be talking to you. Or? Or, yeah. Or the wall. Yeah, <laughs> good, good point, George. Yeah, I mean, and, that's, and we're not even making fun, right? I mean, some people say, well, we Christians make fun of the pantheist or, or the people who worship, you know, all is one... Um, and we're going to look at a statement a little bit later here, but, but it's, it's the idea that you need to become one with the universe. You ever heard, heard that type of phrase? Yeah. Um, among a lot of the surfer guys in Florida They say, you need to become one with the ocean. All right? If this is true, what should be the goal of our existence? Now think, no matter what religion, what philosophy, everybody wants to be on good terms with God. Whoever he, she, or it is, so if everything is God and God is everything, the goal of that would basically be to lose yourself and become one with the universe. What this would do, I mean, Wayne Grudem. It's a if you guys want to pick up a, a really neat theology book, you can get it on on um, Amazon for for not not much. Um, just destroy. He says it destroys both the personhood of God and humans. Imagine if there really is no difference between. Not just people, not just people and animals, but people and animals and everything that we see. That means that God is the Holocaust. That part of God is Hitler. Part of God is a rapist. Part of God is fill in the blank with any nasty thing we could possibly think of, and that is part of God, and God is part of that, that is God, God is that. How would this, I mean, would we even have really a prayer life if we sit back and think about it? What are we praying to ultimately? Bingo. If we could put any type of sticker on it, if God is everything and everything is God, then really, Why don't I just pray to myself because I'm equal with everything out there?
1: Is this
0: humanism? Is this what this comes from? Um humanism would be would be more that there's not um, really much other than than us. Actually we're gonna do materialism here in just a sec, which means everything that, that exists is just material. There's no God, no angels, no demons, no spirit. And that would be probably more more the humanist. Because um, these people actually hold that some, something is is deity, but, um, but but think about it. If you if you're going through issues and you have yourself to pray to, does that give you very much hope?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe if you're a self-deluded person, right? But outside <coughs> of that, it would be pretty bleak. Um, here's a picture. I don't know if we can see it very well because of the lights, but it's just a big paint mixer. And the goal of pantheist, um, you could you know. Hinduism, any of you like that, to become, quote, one with the universe, think of it like this. You've got this huge paint vat, and it's all one type of a color. You're this tiny, tiny, tiny droplet, and you drop into the paint mixer as it's being mixed up. Slowly, you become blended into the whole, and you as a person, as an individual, cease to exist. Does that really place a lot of value on people ultimately? No, because in the end, you're not you. You just simply blend in and you cease to exist. Um, And we're going to put this on the notes online, the different types of pantheism here. Um, We're not going to go through all of that except for, John, um, one thing that you mentioned um, here. There are a number of different forms of pantheism, materialistic pantheism held by David Strauss, which believes in the eternity of matter and that matter is the cause of all life. Um, that that goes back to old school big bang theory from the goo to the zoo to you the stuff has always been here at one time in the past it contracted and it blew up so from what we know we're the top dogs in the universe humanism so who makes the rules we do are there any rules imposed on us by higher order there is no higher order there is no god there is no spirit we are the top and that's the humanism. So I guess you could say, in a sense, that humanism comes from materialism. Because if all that exists is materials and we're the ones who can think the best out of everything, then, then we're... Um, and this would also be, um, for those of you Star Wars fans, you like that, Bryce? Okay. <laughs> um, th- th- think of, of this here, okay? This is called dualism. You've got a good God and an evil God in a cosmic battle. I remember that may the force be with you, okay? That means that there's basically um, this, this God and the universe, and they're both they're both kind of separate here, like you've got the good God and the evil God. And by the way, the, the, a lot of the, the Greeks used to think that, that matter is evil, the body is evil. When the New Testament comes along and says presents your bodies as a living sacrifice, that your body is not an evil thing, that it can be used for the glory of God. It simply means that there's uh, one evil and one good. And really, does that make any sense if they're both gods, whether they're a capital G God or a little G God? Does that make sense if you've got two opposing forces of equal power when they collide, what's going to happen? There'll never be any good that results. Yeah. So there
1: would never be a creation that could result from good because the opposing force would be so strong to prevent that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. There would be nothing. Does anybody get the ding
0: anything from? Um, yeah, that, that's that's pretty huge, right? The, a lot of people believe that. You know. Mm-hmm. Like the what is it? Do you remember what it stands for? I don't remember what it stands for off the top. It's, of kind of like, it's, it's like the, the equal. Is equal is what's that? Right, but isn't like the the equal the the bad and the good and the anger and the love or whatever balancing. Chinese Taoism. If you used to watch the old kung fu series, and that was the whole premise. A lot of that stuff. You can't have anything. It's
1: got to be dark. It's got to be good and bad. It's got to be hot and cold. Okay. Okay. It
0: would equal, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Basically, like it's it's going to meet in the middle and. If everything meets in the middle, then you really don't have hope, right? And that—that's that's the bottom. That's the bottom line. That's what's going to be so huge when we look at the end of this of this talk here tonight about Jesus entering into time and space. Here's your, your question, John, on materialism. Uh, everything that exists in the universe is stuff. You, me, this clicker, everything. Um, some verses that come to mind would be the Luke twelve. Remember the rich fool. Uh, The guy who built barns and he put all his stuff in barns and then he had more stuff and then what did he do instead of giving some of it away? He built a bigger barn (laughs) to put what? His stuff. And by the world's standard, if everything is stuff, then he he who gets the most toys wins. But if God exists... Then remember what Jesus said in Luke 12? He says, God told him, him, You fool, for tonight your soul is required of you. And then we look at Jesus' words in, what is it, Luke chapter 9? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But he loses his own soul. So, now here's the question I would like y'all to discuss with me um, in terms of practical materialism. Now, all of us here tonight... um, we're all, you know, know all of you guys and we've talked. We're on the same page about the gospel. We love the Lord. We believe the Bible. So we don't believe this is true. We don't believe in materialism. But do you think that there can be, it can kind of creep in like a snake on a summer day? If y'all hate snakes, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Yeah. Um. But like a practical materialism can creep into our lives to where we, we believe that God is separate from the creation, but he works in the creation, namely our lives, but like a practical atheism can come in. You think that's possible? I mean, if so, how, how do you think that happens in the, life, in the life of a Christian, just living in America today?
1: TV, movies, written press, the computer, text messages, everything else, music, it all, you know, points to that kind of materialism thing.
0: Okay. Good. You get brainwashed, you know. And
1: you get sucked in, and you get, you know. And we've got so so far, you know. Right. The world becomes so small, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm It's hard to get away from it, isn't it? You, can't you kind
1: of get sucked yeah. into it, you
0: know. What's that? You kind of get sucked into it. You just, Hmm. We as Christians might fall into the trap of, <clears throat> you know, taking verses that talk about blessing and sowing and reaping. That uh-huh. that's the evidence. You know, our spiritual our connection with God is the material blessings he pours out on us. If we don't have that, but maybe we're not connected with Him. Okay, okay. Well, as we think we are. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Yeah, and I think that that's huge. In fact, I'm trying to do some work on a series that hopefully we can do this year uh, about why, did, why does God let bad things happen. And that's actually one of the aspects of that. If God loved me, why do you see a huge disparity between what I have materially and this guy or this couple over here that doesn't care anything about the Lord? And that's, that's huge actually in Africa right now because they said um, a lot of times they, they see our American Christian programming And a lot of what, not all, but a lot of what we hear on our Christian programming today is that when God blesses you, God blesses you with stuff. And let's say you're an African living in Africa and you're watching, gathered aground an old analog TV. And then you look at yourself and your pastor who's poorer than dirt and everybody else that you know. And you say, well, we're saved. We're trying to love the Lord. Does that mean that God hates us? And it's a huge problem in Africa right now. And um, maybe we can, we can talk about that sometime. We think about, it, we think about what we say about the Lord. And I think, appreciate you bringing that up, Trish. We have to apply that to all Christians, right? All Christians at all times. And uh, in fact, if we, could, if we really looked at Scripture, I mean, even when we read out of tonight, Jeremiah is called the, the, the weeping prophet because his whole life was so terrible that most of what he did, and he's not a weak guy, as he cried, being ripped out of you know, his home, taken by force to Egypt, thrown down into a pit for days upon end, um, everybody saying that he was a traitor when he was doing what God told him to do. I mean, there's a lot of heartbreak in the Bible. But, so,
1: Jeff, you talk about that materialism thing. But I do see that in a lot of Christian shows, that they tell you that if you pray, God will make let you prosper mm-hmm. for material things. Okay. Is that right or wrong?
0: Well, I think is it, right, there,
1: is it okay to pray for a Cadillac? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I don't think it's right, but I, I just, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. That's a great. That's a great. That's, a, that's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's okay if you're going to use it for God's glory, but I think where a lot of people get caught up in the practical materialism is you you gather stuff, saying you're going to use it for the Lord and give it back to the Lord and help people or whatever, and but mm-hmm. then you're too busy taking care of your stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you, well, yeah. oh, make it, well, make it well we door door you. Yeah, already. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know? Okay, I got Cadillac
0: now. Waiting for truck. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. That's a good insight, Martha. Well, one thing I would I would say, and this comes from Ray Comfort. Um, he said well, something to the effect of of what are your affections rooted in? And he said something, and I remember that. This is a quote. He says, "When we got saved," he says covetousness was nailed to the cross and my motives are no longer like when I've become to pray pray for more stuff for myself that's, that's outside of, of, of the basic needs and so forth and, and yes God can give us nice things I'm not saying that we don't have to have anything nice or that if we do that we're not in God's will but the, the heart cry, cry of my heart is not for material things
1: you were saying before so, about, like, you know, you see somebody else who's prospering, you know. Uh huh. What is God? As an imbalance here? Somebody's a good Christian. And, well, I look at it in a little different way. Maybe that bothers me a little bit. Is that you see some poor little kid now you have cancer, you know, and you got this bumblebee, you know, and that's where I find the in.
0: Yes, yes. And a, as do I with my, with my brother Jordan. You know, that's the whole thing with, with him. I mean, the kid was was a phenomenal athlete. He finished first in conditioning his freshman year on the basketball team. And normally the older guys do that on the team and say, here he is, and he eats health food and all this stuff. And then you take some guy who's in his 40s or 50s that's smoked eight packs of cigarettes every day. What's that?
1: (laughs) Keith Richards. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, you know,
0: it does that. And and so, actually, I I would give you a... um, a text, and we don't have time to go through it tonight, but it's Psalm 73. And that's actually that's actually the very problem that the psalmist has. The psalmist comes into the temple, and the psalmist says, in fact, let me, let me just read um, a couple of verses here. Uh, in verse 1 of Psalm 73, and I've, I've given this, this chapter to so many people who've had that same question. John, that's a legit question. Uh, verse 1 says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Y'all ever been there? My feet, I almost stumbled in my walk with God because I see these problems. Verse 4, For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. And then, over in verse 11, this is what they're saying, and they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Which is a blasphemous statement against God. And then, um, In verse 16, And when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Amen? Like, how do I put all this together? So this is in the Bible. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and here's the key, verse 17 of the whole whole chapter, Then I discerned their end. Read that one more time. Verse 16, 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end. And through the rest of the chapter, it speaks of basically you and I see very limited, don't we? Do we know what's going to happen at 1130 tonight? We don't. We, we, we can, you know, maybe O'Reilly will be on or maybe, you know, some, I mean, some show, but we really don't know, do we? And so what the psalmist does is say, well, I go into to the Word, hear the Word of God, and the Word of God tells me that I can only see for a moment, but God sees for all eternity. And what may look totally horrific to me and unjust right now, in the end, there's payday someday for the wicked, and then for those who have suffered incredibly, there's going to be, for those who have been saved, there's going to be, I guess what we could say, a justification of that one day. And when we're in the presence of the Lord, Scripture never says that we'll know everything like God because then that means that we would have the equal knowledge of God as God and then we would be God basically and we could give God advice, okay, which would be a very strange heaven. But one day there's going to be a place and a time to where God makes everything right. And so I would encourage you guys just to go through Psalm 73, but um, I'm looking forward to that series because um, it's it's going to come up this year. But does that... John, at least open the can up enough. Okay. And just
1: one thing that just occurred to me in, in talking about that particular point, is one thing in that radical book that it talks about is the, the story of him going over to these the
0: Asian pastors mm-hmm. and they're having this conference and the thing that struck me is they weren't asking, okay, how do we grow a big congregation? How do we have big buildings, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. They wanted them to, teach of the Bible. Man. And in the space of a couple of weeks, he literally goes through the entire New Testament. And then the last day, they're saying, well, we need to know about the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, <laughs> what do you want to know? We want to know all of it. And so nice. in 12 hours, he goes through the entire New Testament. But notice that their view is they were hungry for the Word and the yes. of God. They weren't interested in how to have big buildings or even have large amounts of people Although I imagine they probably ended up with lots of people, and they may have ended up with big buildings. Mm-hmm. But notice what was their focus, their focus was on learning the word and how to share it and how to save people. Mm-hmm. And I think in the final analysis, all the other things got to provide all that. That's right.: but That's not his focus. That's right. Yeah, And that's a great that's a great point, Michael. That's, and if you y'all, if all haven't read the Radical books, I would encourage you to pick them up, and it's a great read. Um, I just wanted to bring this out in terms of our of our practical uh, materialism. Um, this is from George Barna, and it does a lot of Christian research. <clears throat> and the title of the article is, New Study Shows Trends in Tithing and Donating. This is actually from 2007. Um, the article says, whether they believe in the principle of tithing or not, few Americans give away money. Uh, that much money. In 2007, the research revealed that just 5% of adults tithe. Not surprisingly, some population groups were more likely than uh, others to have given away at least 10% of their income. Among the most generous segments were evangelicals, 24% of whom tithed, conservatives, 12% Twelve percent tithes. People who had prayed, read the Bible, and attended a church service during the past week. Twelve percent tithes. Charismatic or Pentecostal Pentecostal Christians. Eleven percent and registered Republicans. Ten percent. I don't. I don't know how the registered Republicans really fits in there, but uh, it was in the article, and I thought that would be pretty hilarious. Um, it's like all the denominations, that I know Republicans are a denomination, you know. Um, that's pretty funny. I don't know if like Rush Limbaugh preaches or, or what happens. But um, but I thought, I thought this was interesting. Now, we do know, right, we do know that the U.S. gets beat up on a lot from outside the world, but the U.S. actually is a very, very charitable country regardless of how we think that the money is spent or where it should be spent. Um, but we're talking about Christians, right? We're talking about Christians. I think it's very interesting that 24% of evangelicals that, that's, just, that's just the basis of where it's at. New Testament giving is much, we went through that, uh, much above and, and beyond that. So here's another one. Uh, deism. That God is an absentee landlord who is too remote to be involved in the everyday events of his creation. So you've got God here and creation here. And there's a total separation. Notice there's no involvement. The classic picture is that God kind of wound the universe up like a clock. And then he sit back. He's sitting back, and he's watching it run down. How would that affect your prayer life? Notice total gap here.
1: Is What's that? Is yeah. There's a separation there. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. What was that, Sue? I said, wow, huh? yeah, yeah. why Yeah, waste the time? Right. laissez fair God. <laughs> fair God. Okay. Yeah. Um, what, what, how would this How would this kind of... Uh, uh, let, let's think in terms of the Lord expressing his love to us by what we believe, the incarnation of Jesus, the life, death, resurrection of Christ, the Holy Spirit who lives inside us, enables us to follow him. How would this model of God affect how we view him? It would really be hard to accept that Jesus was God. He is one of because his hands were off after creation. He didn't intervene. Exactly. And that's what you don't. High five. You have <laughs> to the have nail on the head. head. <laughs> Trish, all right? You have to tell Jonathan. I, I nailed it. Hack notes. <laughs> <laughs> Hacking into the website, yeah. Um, no, but, but that's exactly right. Because the thing is, is that if God is separate from his creation, then are miracles possible? They're not even remotely possible. That means that Jesus did not rise from the dead. And in fact, Thomas Jefferson, his Bible, um, he basically cut out every reference in the New Testament to miracles. Which means that all um, of the New Testament miracles that Jesus did, Jesus wasn't walking on the water, he was walking by the water. Or either he knew where the rocks were in the ocean you know, and you just get into a really bizarre way of interpreting the Bible.
1: Um, <clears throat> yeah, I notice a lot of people who believe like in that humanism type stuff and uh-huh. all the stuff we're talking about. They, they all lost. They? they actually they, they want to know what the question I always get from them is: What's the purpose of all life here? What's the, what's mm-hmm. purpose, of the purpose here? What's the and, you know and, and you know good? And, like maybe you should pick up the Bible and read it. You know, find out what your purpose. You know. Nice. They all lost. They do say it though. You know. They're, oh, okay. But what is your purpose if you don't have, if you don't believe in God? What is the purpose of this being that it will happen? You know what I'm
0: saying? That's one of the greatest questions that's ever been asked. What is the point of life? And the book of Ecclesiastes goes through all that. Even it even goes into things like work. Like, why am I really going to work hard? Even if I get enough money, even if I retire at 50, 55, and I get to live till I'm 85, really, in the end, who cares? That's why Solomon says, in the end, there is no difference, I think it's in chapter 2 or 3, between man and beasts. Because all go to the same place, under the sun. He's talking about if God doesn't exist. God doesn't exist, I don't know. Find whatever whets your whistle or makes you happy and just go, you know, do it. It doesn't really matter. And so really, there is no ultimate purpose in life. All that really matters is, is like um, Ayn Rand, the, the uh, philosopher, atheist, she said that it's just happiness. Whatever makes you happy. That may sound okay and but cute. But the people, they're at a loss because you look
1: at all these Hollywood people. Yeah. Look at their lives. They're making a million dollars just to make, they make believe. Mm-hmm. Look at the all their lives are a
0: wreck, you know? Mm-hmm. All of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: They look very unhappy to me. I don't really want it to be them.
0: Yeah, and that's something, too. I think when we may get discouraged about, you know, some people say, oh, I wish I could, I could look like this person or have as much money as this person. Say, well, look at the best looking and the richest people in the, in the world, but, you know, in American society. And the question of the great philosopher Larry the Cable guy, how's that working for you, right? It's, it's not. And um, so, good, good point. I think that's good, John, just pointing back to the text. Um, here's, here's one I threw in here just to get some discussion, see what you guys think. Um, we'll call this view, right theology, but practical atheism. Now notice once again, we've got a separation between the two. The first one is the what I believe. I believe that God is real, but he's just the God of Sunday church. And then down here is how I live. A professing Christian like, I believe the Bible is true, Jesus rose from the dead, God is real, etc., etc. But how I live is totally separated from that. Are there any verses that would come to mind for a person who would say, I believe the Bible, I believe in Jesus, but that never belief in Jesus never actually trickles down into how um, we live our life? Verse, do you believe in God? The devil's also believe in trouble. Okay. It
1: comes to mind, but I don't know where it is. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, James 2.19. Good job. Okay. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I was thinking also James chapter 2, where, where James says, can that faith save him? The type of faith that says, I believe in these, in these realities, intellectually maybe, but that never actually translates into me following what Jesus said to do. And the question of the text is, can that faith save him? And, and the, the answer the answer is no. Um, we've got a couple here. This is the biblical view of God. Okay, I don't know if y'all can, y'all proud of this arrow? Y'all like that? Okay. Made that arrow today. Really um, good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we've got here transcendence. Okay, notice that God is separate from the creation, which means that God is not us. God is not stuff. But the eminence, which is God's nearness, God's involvement, God is involved with the creation. Right here, it's important that God is transcendent, that God's separate. Because if God is a part of our creation, then God is bound by the same rules as our creation. Which means we need to tell God to watch out for things such as bad weather. We need to watch out for things such as gravity. If God is stuff, right? And if God is stuff, if God is not spirit, then that means that we could admit that God grows old. Because anything that's in time, anything that's physical, is going to eventually break down and wear down. But if God is separate from creation, then God is able to exist and not be bound by, um, by creation. Um. And the Christian view is unique. God is separate from his creation, but involved in it. So we're just going to look at um, a couple of verses here on eminence. If you can write these down, and then on transcendence, and then we'll um, we'll head out. Colossians 1.17, this speaks of God's eminence, his being involved with the creation. It says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Which means that God is active. Amen? Alright? God is active in our lives. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Here it is. And he upholds the universe. Who's in the universe? Us. So we could read this right here. He upholds me. Amen. By the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Um, Transcendence, which is otherness, separateness. Um, The Isaiah chapter 6 passage where it speaks of uh, there in verse 3. This is one of the, uh, the angels in the, the vision that Isaiah saw. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. So God is not the creation, but His glory fills the whole earth. Now notice what the reaction was here at verse 4. And the foundations of the threshold shook, at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Whenever the transcendent, God comes and he shows us amazing things in his word. He gives us a vision of something to do. The reaction is never high five God, but it's like we see ourselves for what we really are and we just, oh, woe is me. I heard one guy say that before there's the wow of worship, there is the woe of me. And that's, I believe, um, if you ever come to the point in your Christian life where you think, oh, woe is me, that's the time that God can use us. Amen? Because right after this, after God um, gives him forgiveness, he cleanses him, um, God says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Another verse here for um, both transcendence, which is once again God's otherness and his involvement in the creation is Ephesians 4, 6 through 8. The Bible says, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's pretty neat, right? So God's over it, and he's through it, and he's in all of it. But, verse 17, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Once again, verse 6 here is huge, especially when we're encountering difficulties in life. Because if God is the Father of everything, if he's over our problem, if he's through it, and he's in it, then that means that there's nothing that we can ever go through or into that he's not involved with. Why? You see how many times we got all? How many times we have it? One God and Father of all who is over all all, and through all and in all. I think the Bible's letting us know that God is involved with all things. And that should be a comfort um, for believers. And we come back to our verse in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23 and 24. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? God is here, active, working in our lives, but he's also not stuff that we see. Verse 24, can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. And uh, the importance of this, we're almost out of time. We'll just run through these very quickly. The importance of eminence, God working, is that God is not limited to only working through miracles, which means he is involved our whole lives, uh, our whole life long. Uh, secondly, God can use non-Christians. This goes back to God even raising up uh, unbelievers to bring punishment to Israel. And he even spoke through Pharaoh um, to the King Josiah. And We're going to talk about that on, on Sunday. Uh, third, God reveals himself in nature. Logic, order in the natural realm that God is working even through nature. That means, like you're saying, John, people who are looking for questions, you can start off with a lost person saying, Check out the ocean, check out the trees, check out nature. Where do you think that came? Not at that end, just that. Look at a flower, look at a dog. Um, and that'll start off the question of where it came from. It points to the Lord. And the importance of transcendence that God is not the creation. Number one, God is not bound by the limitations of creation. Aren't you glad? Because if so, he would be like us. Do we have to go places and we can't just be there? Uh, number two, human beings are not supreme but are given value from above. Going back to the materialism question. Which means that God is above us. We are not the rule makers. Uh, number three, we can never raise ourselves to God's level because God is other. He's not part of the creation, or he is not the creation. So what we're looking for is a discovery of God instead of self-discovery. We're supposed to look to Christ instead of, like the world tells us, to look within. And then finally, uh, for reverence for God is necessary for a proper relationship with him. Because God is the one who is not stuff but brought all the stuff into existence, when I approach him, it should be absolutely and totally reverent. And to close, just a picture. Um, once again, we don't know what Jesus looked like, but we think about the fact of Jesus coming into this world. That is the ultimate example of the transcendent God coming to be not just involved in a small way in creation, but literally taking the sins of the whole world, every moral agent, every human being's sin. The Bible says in First, first Timothy four eight, it was taken on Jesus. And all those who would believe Jesus took their sins, that's called someone entering into space and time to fix ultimately everything that was broken in space and time. So when we think of those big words, transcendence, we think, why would a king come down into a peasant, into a peasant mud hole? And we think about eminence, we think when that king comes to that peasant mud hole, would the king take the beating, take the death penalty that the peasants have rightfully incurred. And that should cause us in our Christian walk to, number one, realize that we could never do anything good enough to get the king to come to us. But because he's come to us and because he saved us, we get to live for him. And not only do we get to live for him in our own power, but he's the one who's promised to be in us to help us through anything, especially what we prayed for tonight. So I hope that this study has been an encouragement to you. And uh, let's just remember that the Lord is awesome and um, able to do what we could never imagine could be done.